Tonight, one of the most important subjects in this entire series, the Revelation's Peacemaker. And before we do get into tonight's subject, as always, we need to ask the Holy Spirit to be with us. So let's bow our heads and pray. Father in heaven, tonight as we open your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be here. Lord, I recognize that I am not worthy to speak to your people. I pray that Jesus would cover my sins. I pray that Jesus would be lifted up tonight. May everyone here get a glimpse of his glory as we look at these prophecies from the book of Revelation. Thank you, Lord, that you died to save us from our sins and that you're coming again to take us home. Be with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> when you open the Bible to the book of Revelation, how many of you have a Bible here tonight? You can hold up your Bible, amen, or you can hold up your phone. I understand. I use my phone too. It's okay. Although sometimes, I'll be honest, I like the physical Bible. You know, I just like to hear the tree of life, as they call it, the pages turning, amen? But if you open your Bible to the book of Revelation, and I'm going to do it right now. Open, go ahead, open with me to the book of Revelation. If you have a physical Bible, and look at the first page of the book of Revelation. Now, it depends on your version, what it says, okay? In many editions of the Bible, the title you find above the last book is usually something like the Revelation of John. Sometimes it'll say that. Or the old King James Version, it might say the revelation of St. John the Divine. It's kind of a very flowery way of saying it, right? And honestly, it's a pretty good title. It's a pretty good title because it was, the book of Revelation was written by who? The Apostle John, right? And there's no doubt that John was a very important figure in the story of early Christianity. He was the last living disciple the only one of the original 12, by the way, who wasn't martyred. He, didn't, he actually died of natural causes. He's the only one who died of old age. That's not because the Roman Empire didn't try to kill him. In fact, according to historical sources, they did. It's, only, it's a story you're not going to find in the Bible, but Christians are reasonably certain that it's true. There was a Roman Empire emperor rather, by the name of Domitian who hated Christians. And at one point, he tried to kill John. Does anybody know how he tried to kill John? He tried to lower him in a vat of boiling oil. Can you imagine? That's like being fried. He tried to cook John alive, but for some reason, by God's grace, that failed. John survived. So the emperor Domitian got rid of him by shipping him to a colony on an island off the coast of what is today Turkey. Does anybody know the name of that island? Patmos, that's exactly right. Now, I've been to Turkey. I've not been to Patmos. It's a tiny, rocky island, only 13 square miles in size. I think you'd get island fever if you were there very long. 45 miles off the coast of Turkey. And this was a place where only prisoners went. So there, John spent the rest of his life. And one day on that tiny little island, John suddenly hears a voice. It was the voice of of Jesus. And he begins to see some very incredible things. The stuff we now read in the book of Revelation. So there's no doubt that John was a great man. He is absolutely central to the story. It makes sense that translators would want to put his name there, Revelation of St. John the Divine. But it's important to realize that it's a man-made title. I would suggest to you that the real title of the book, 
the one that God gave it, can be found in verse 1. What do you say? Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1, if you've got your Bible, or on the screen, look at this. The Bible says, the revelation of who? Jesus Christ. Amen. Which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. The revelation of who, friends? Jesus Christ. Who does this book reveal? It reveals Jesus. And when, we, when, when will the things of this book take place? It says that the prophecy will take place when, friends? Shortly, right? Shortly. Now that's an important piece of information to note. You might want to tuck that away for some of the subjects we're going to be looking at in the future nights, okay? The prophecy happens shortly. It happens soon. Which should make you stop and think when you hear people saying that all or most of the book of Revelation is going to happen way in the distant future. Wait a minute. No, it says shortly. Friends, the prophecy is going to take place shortly. Now, for right now, I want you to look at the real title of the book. It's the Revelation of Jesus Christ. The last book of the Bible is not about John. He wrote it, right? The last book of the Bible is about our Savior, Jesus. It's not about dragons, ultimately. It's not about demons or the Antichrist. Even though all those things are mentioned, the book of Revelation, the real subject is who? Who is it? It's Jesus. I want you to know that crystal clear as we go through the next several nights. Now, nowhere does this become more clear in the book of Revelation than in chapter 5, a scene that ushers us right into the very throne room of heaven. In Revelation chapter 4, John is suddenly invited in vision into the presence of God himself, into the throne room. And it's a privilege that only a few people have had the handful of seeing. But right now, we're going to join John in Revelation chapter 5. So let's go there and see what John wrote. Revelation chapter 5, starting with verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a what? Now there's a couple of things I want you to notice. Okay? It says here, well, written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. There are seven seals on the scroll, and in the book of Revelation, the number seven shows up all over the place. In chapters 2 and 3, there are seven what? Churches. There are seven lampstands in chapter 1. There are seven plagues, seven trumpets, seven angels, seven heads, seven crowns. All kinds of groups of? Now, does anybody have a favorite number? Your, number is se- your favorite number is seven? Okay, we've got a few. That's definitely my favorite number. I've always liked that number. Seven is the number of completion or perfection in the Bible represents completion. Anytime you see the number seven in Bible prophecy, it usually means that you have a complete set of something. You have perfection. So I want you to, that's the first thing I want you to notice. There are seven seals here in this verse. And here's the second thing I'd like you to notice. It seems like God actually keeps written records in heaven. Interesting. And that tells us something very important. Nothing escapes God's attention. Nothing escapes God's attention. Absolutely nothing. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 9, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Does anything escape God's notice, friends? Yes or no? No, it doesn't. All right, let's continue. Then I saw 
a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? John hears an urgent question being asked in the courts of heaven, and it's so urgent that they shout the question with a whimpery voice. No, a loud voice, right? Who is worthy? This is something that all the angels appear to be interested in because even angels don't know everything. And on this occasion, they want to know the answer to the question, who is worthy? And what is the answer, friends? Pay attention carefully as we read this. No one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So who is worthy? No one. According to this text, nobody. They couldn't find anybody. Not in heaven, not on earth, not anywhere. That's a valuable piece of information, so tuck that away for later because you're going to need it. Nobody is worthy. Let's keep reading. So, this is John speaking, I, what does it say? I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. Let's pause for just a moment and think about this. There's a problem in heaven. Now, I know you don't typically think of heaven having a problem, right? It's a per perfect place. But here it is. They have a book that's sealed or a scroll. It's not, they had scrolls, right? They were, you ever seen, they were round and they rolled them out like this. They're not books like we have today. It's sealed, and there's a sense of urgency because they want to open it. It must be open, but they can't find anybody worthy to open the scroll. And so John is so upset about this that he begins to literally cry. This is a description of the world's biggest issue right now. It's a problem that must be solved. Now, I want you to read this next text with me. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, and I want you to look at this. Read this with me, please. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to what? To loose its seven seals. Do you see it, friends? Praise God. The lion of the tribe of Judah. Who is that, friends? It is Jesus Christ. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. You see, friends, the Bible is always good news. Bible prophecy is the story of God solving our problems. Amen? That's what we're discovering in this seminar. The book of Revelation isn't about destruction. It's about avoiding destruction. It's not about death. It's about conquering death. It's not about hopelessness. It's about finding hope that lasts forever. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and the four and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a, what does it say, friends? Stood a lamb. Now here's something really important, a pattern that shows up in the book of Revelation. First John hears something, and then he turns and he sees it, okay? In Revelation 1, John hears a voice like a trumpet, and then he turns and he sees who? Jesus. That's in Revelation 1. Standing among the seven candlesticks. Now he hears a lion... But he turns and sees what? A lamb. Friends, who is the lamb? Who is the lamb? Now, we, we don't have time tonight, but if I could take you back through Old Testament history, lambs were used in the sacrificial service, right? They, God taught them that they had to bring an offering to cover for their sins, to, to represent 
the offering that Christ would make as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so John's readers would have been familiar with this. Jesus is the Lamb. 28 times in the book of Revelation, He's referred to as the Lamb of God. Remember what John the Baptist said when he first laid his eyes on Jesus. What did John the Baptist say? Students of of the Bible? He said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Amen? So now, John, the Apostle John, sees a lamb. The Bible continues, as though it had been what? Slain. Having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. There's that number seven again. Then he came out and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Okay, I know there's a lot of information in this passage. Here are some questions that I have for you tonight. Number one, we saw in the Bible that John wept. Why did John weep? Why is that such a bad situation? Question number two, what exactly did the lamb do that makes him worthy when nobody else is? And question number three, In the book of Revelation, why do we see Jesus looking like a slain lamb? Now, I want you to tuck those questions in the back of your mind. We're going to answer those as we go through the presentation tonight. But first, I want to take you to a story, an interesting story. It was just an ordinary piece of mail. It looked just like everything else in the mailbox. But when Linda opened the envelope, The bottom literally dropped out of her world. She had been expecting the government of Nebraska to send her a copy of her birth certificate so that she could get a passport. She she was applying for a passport. She needed her birth certificate, but she didn't have one. She wanted to go on a trip, but she never expected what she found in that envelope. Boldly splashed across the top of the paper were the words, Adoptive Birth Certificate. Now, normally, there wouldn't be any problem with that. Adoption is a wonderful thing. I will share with you, my mother was adopted. And it was, a, it was a, something that was a blessing to our family. But there was something very strange about this. Linda wasn't adopted. She knew she wasn't adopted, and so there must have been a mistake. She's upset. Somebody in the government must have mixed up her paperwork. And of course, this thing happens all the time. So she, knows, she, she says, I... I know I'm not adopted. By the way, by this point, she was already 42 years old with four kids. She tried to laugh it off, but there was kind of a nagging doubt. What if there is something to this? What if there's something here I don't know? She couldn't call her parents because they had already passed away. So instead, she called her uncle. Ring, ring. Hey, uncle. The weirdest thing just happened. I just got a copy of my birth certificate in the mail, and and wouldn't you know it, it says I'm adopted. Isn't that the funniest thing you've ever heard? Silence. After several painful seconds, Linda knew there was something to it. Listen, she said, I have a right to know. You've got to tell me. Okay, Linda, her uncle said. Your parents made me promise I would never tell you, but now you found out anyway. Yes, it's true. You were adopted. She hung up the phone. She could barely catch her breath. The room felt like it was spinning, and she felt lightheaded. She picked up the phone another time, and she called her sister. Joan, she said. 
What's the matter, Linda? You don't sound very good. I'm not good, Joan. There's something I need to know. Am I your natural-born sister? Or was I adopted? Again, there was silence. Painful silence. And then Joan confessed, Listen, Linda, um, I was never supposed to tell you, but yeah, Mom and Dad, they adopted you. She hung up the phone. She was in shock. She locked herself in her bedroom, and for days she couldn't sleep, she couldn't eat. Finally, her husband, Michael, went in and talked to her. Linda, I can't even begin to imagine how hard this must be for you, he said, but I know something that might help. Why don't you try looking for your birth mother? Linda was not impressed. Mike, not everything is a fairy tale. My mother obviously didn't want me, so why would she want me now? I know, said Mike, but look at it this way. You couldn't possibly feel any worse. Besides, we have four kids. We, for their sake, we need to know. Maybe there's some medical background we need to know. And in her heart, Linda knew that Mike was right. So she sat down and she wrote an ad for the local newspaper because she didn't know where else to start looking. And then her sister Joan remembered one very important detail. She remembered the names of her biological parents, the first names. So this is the ad she put in the paper. My name is Linda, born to Jeannie and Warren in Omaha on July 8, 1950, and given up for adoption. My adoptive parents are deceased. I do not wish to cause any problems, but am seeking available information or possible reunion. You know what she's asking, don't you? Who am I? That's a really big question, a question that lots of people have been forced to ask over the centuries. Who am I really? Because Linda's not the only one to suddenly find out that she was building her life on a foundation of lies. Sooner or later, everybody has to ask the same question, and sooner or later, you're going to have to ask it too. Who am I? Where do I belong? What's the meaning of my existence? Is there any purpose to my life? Everybody faces those questions, and if you haven't faced them yet, you're going to face them. You can't get through life in this world and not eventually wonder who you really are. This story resonates with me because my mom, actually, I mentioned that my mom was adopted. She actually searched for her birth parents for many, many years. And it was only a few years ago, through, I believe, a divine providential arrangement, where she was able to find her birth family after almost 40 years. They were searching for her. <laughs> Who am I? Everybody faces those questions. Who am I really? Maybe one of those famous, most famous examples of someone asking those kinds of questions is found in the Gospel of Luke. It's the story of the thief on the cross. The Bible says in Luke chapter 23, verses 32 and 33, there were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Now the Bible says there was someone hanging on a cross next to Jesus. We all know him as the thief on the cross. But that's about the only thing we know about him. We don't know who he was. We don't know what town he came from. We don't know who his parents were, where he went to school. We don't even know his name. 
But all that we know is one thing. He was a thief. He was a transgressor. The old King James Bible says a malefactor, which literally means an evildoer. That's all he is. That's all that was written about his life. Did he ever have a wife? We don't know. Brothers or sisters, we don't know. All we know, he was a thief, a transgressor. Makes me wonder sometimes, what will people say in three words to sum up my life? What will they say in a few words one day to sum up your life? At the end, that's all you really get. A few words etched on a stone, an epitaph. Maybe a few lines in the local newspaper if someone knows you well enough to write them. But that's all you get, a few short words. And the chances are, you're never going to see them. You're never going to read your epitaph, but you'll never see your own obituary. But I assure you, you've already begun to write it day by day, moment by moment, one decision at a time. Every decision you make will determine how the world remembers you. And the character you build, the options that you choose, the decisions that you make, they're not just going to make a difference here on earth, they're going to make a difference for all eternity. The way you live your life moment by moment is going to decide how you're remembered in the books of heaven forever. The sum total of your life is the decisions you make. Matthew says this man was a thief. Mark says he was a transgressor. Luke tells us he was a criminal. Was he ever a good father? I don't know. It's not what his life was about. In the end, he's just a thief. He's a criminal. He's the worst thing the rulers of Israel could find to make the crucifixion of Jesus seem even more shameful. They wanted to hang this man next to Jesus because this man was worthless. Now ask yourself an important question, friends. If you had to stand in heaven right now the way you are, right now, think about this for just a second. Like John, what would you do when they asked you for someone worthy? Would you feel qualified? Or would you weep like John? If you had to stand right now in front of God's throne, this very minute, just you and God, how do you think you would do? See, they couldn't find anybody. And we all know that, they would, that we wouldn't dare to step forward to that question, right? Because every single human who has ever lived has sinned against God. The only thing we're worthy of, the only thing that we're worthy of, according to the Bible, is what? Look at this text, friends. Romans 6.23. Read it with me, please. For the wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now let me ask you, doesn't, does this seem a little harsh? Just a few little misdeeds, a few mistakes, and you have to die? Doesn't that prove that God is a bit of a dictator? Do it my way or die? Well, let's think about this for a moment. What actually happens when you sin? The Bible says we cut ourselves off from God. Look at this text from Isaiah chapter 59. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not, what? Hear. You see, sin cannot dwell in the presence of a holy God. It's not a part of who he is. He didn't intend for all the pain and suffering that causes, that sin causes, and he can't allow it in his presence. It removes us from God. It drives a wedge between us and him. And that has some really serious consequences. 
Because if you separate yourself from the only real source of life, you're going to die. You said, but you say, but, but, but wait a minute. I'm not dead. I'm alive. I'm breathing. I'm here. I'm listening to you speak tonight. Not yet. But one day, Jesus doesn't come back. In your lifetime, you will be. It's kind of like an electric fan. If you unplug it, the blades might spin for a few minutes, but eventually they slow down and quit. And this whole world is in the same boat. It's slowly winding down. It's getting sicker, and so are you. And one day soon, you will suffer the same fate as every human being who went before you. You will die. The problem is serious. No wonder John weeps bitterly when they can't find anybody worthy. You are cut off from God. Cut off from the source of life. It's a universal human problem with no exceptions. Romans 3.23 tells us very clearly, for all. How many, friends? All have sinned and, fall and come short of the glory of God. Now it says that all. So who is therefore worthy of death? If all have sinned, then all are worthy of death, right? So who is worthy to open the scroll in heaven? Apart from the Lamb of God? Nobody. Okay, you say, okay, I've sinned. But I'm nowhere near as bad as the guy over there. We like to compare ourselves, don't we? Going back to the thief on the cross. Come on, Jesus. They were there mocking him in that moment. If you really are the Son of God, come down from that cross. King of the Jews, that's what the sign says over your head. Why don't you come down and we'll give you a throne? Why doesn't God save you if you really are his Son? See, the Bible says that, in a sense, we're all, they were all doing that. The people he was trying to save were mocking him. The Pharisees were doing it. The Romans were doing it. Even the priests were doing it. It's like the whole human race was gathered there, rejecting the Son of God. Come on, Jesus. If you really are the Messiah, surely you can do something about this. If you really are the long-awaited Messiah, then this shouldn't be a problem. Just come down off the cross. They were all doing it, including the thieves. In the last few moments of his life, that one thief, but then suddenly he stops. He looks over at Jesus, and something happens, friends. He remembers everything he's heard about Jesus. He remembers that he had gone about doing good and healing people and, and, and blessing people. He loved the unlovable. He touched the untouchable. He remembers Jesus in the judgment hall on the last night, how Jesus stood there and just took it, not like a guilty man who knows it's over, but like an innocent man who resigned to a horrible fate. And now he can see it. Jesus isn't deceived. He is. A thief finds out in the last minutes of his life that it was all a big lie, a conspiracy. But I don't believe in conspiracies, you say. Well, I don't either, generally. Amen. Not the kind you see on YouTube. But sometimes conspiracies are very real. Sometimes they do happen. We know they kept Linda in the dark for 42 years. Now getting back to that story for a moment, it turns out that Linda's birth mother was a girl by the name of Jeannie who got married at 17 years old and gave birth to Linda the same year. 
And then her teenage husband took off, and she never heard from him again. And so she did the best she could. She lived in Omaha, Nebraska. She found a job, and she was trying to watch the baby and, and go to work, but she eventually asked an older couple in the, in the area to watch Linda every day while she was at work, Mr. and Mrs. Whitney. The only problem was that they lived on the other side of the town. It took an hour and a half for, her, for Linda to go and drop her off. It was just too hard. So they agree, agreed to take Linda Sunday night and keep her all the way until Friday afternoon when Jeannie would pick her up. It was the perfect arrangement until one day Jeannie got a call at work. Jeannie, uh, it's Mrs. Whitney. Um, social services found out about your child care arrangement with us and you know, they're actually over here at the apartment. They say that if you don't come and sign some papers right now, they're going to take Linda away from you. Well, she, she, was, she was distressed. She said, no, no, don't let them take her. I'll be there as fast as she can. So she left work. She didn't even tell her boss. She just went straight to the Whitney's house. And there were some people there, and they had papers to sign. And they assured her it was all routine. And, and she looked them over, but she didn't really understand what she was doing. And she signed the documents. The next Friday was Linda's second birthday. And Jeannie was excited. She had got a little present, and she went over to the apartment ready to pick up her daughter. It was going to be a very good weekend. She knocked on the door. No one answered. She knocked again. No one was answering. What's going on? She kept knocking and knocking harder and harder. Suddenly, her heart began to beat faster. She realized something was wrong. She began to bang on the door. Mr. and Mrs. Whitney. The superintendent heard it, and he stuck his head out the hallway. Can I help you? Do you know where the Whitneys are, she said. The Whitneys? Oh, I'm sorry, ma'am, they don't live here anymore. I don't know if you can imagine the pain of separation, the, the panic that comes of losing a child. If any of you may have been separated from your kid for a little while, you know what that's like. God knows what that's like. He understands that kind of pain because somebody once stole all of his children, and then they killed his only begotten son. Let me assure you, God understands your pain. He has walked this earth. He has lived like us. He has died like us. In fact, he died far worse than any of us will. And now he represents the whole human race in the courts of heaven. The Bible teaches that God knows our pain. Jeannie called Mr. Whitney's boss, but he had no idea where the Whitney's were. He said, well, he just picked up his last paycheck and said he wasn't coming back. She hung up the phone. Then she had a very awful thought. What if those papers I signed were actually adoption papers? Can you imagine? Deceived into thinking you were doing the right thing. Deceived into thinking you were helping your daughter. And you lose your family in the process. Jeannie called the adoption people, but they told her nothing. They said adoption is highly confidential and the files are closed. And that was the end of the line. She couldn't afford a lawyer or a private investigator because she just didn't have that kind of money. All she could do was go through the phone books calling every witness she could find, hoping that somebody knew something. She took out classified ads, as many as she could afford, hoping that somebody who knew something would say something. But that was it. Linda was the victim of a conspiracy. Sometimes conspiracies are very real. And let me assure you, friends, there has been a conspiracy in your life. 
You have been stolen and somebody is trying to keep you in the dark. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. I want you to look at this text with me, please. The Apostle Paul writes these words, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ, of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. What is this text telling us? There is a conspiracy in this world. Someone is trying to keep you. Someone is trying to keep all the people around us from seeing the truth. But here is the thing about conspiracies, friends. They're not perfect. Conspiracies are fabrications. And no matter how clever the devil might be, after thousands of years of perfecting this, his work is still full of defects. It's still full of holes big enough for the light of truth to shine through. And the Bible says that one day, a thief on a cross suddenly noticed some light peeking through one of those holes. He woke up for the first time in his life with blood, sweat, and dirt in his eyes. He could finally see clearly in the last moments of his life. He suddenly saw that the man he was ruthlessly mocking was the Son of God. And then he looks back to the crowd at the foot of the cross and he listens to them mocking Jesus and suddenly he recognizes a voice. And if you listen to the story carefully, you'll recognize the voice too because that voice has been lying to you all your life. Listen carefully. It's the voice that keeps saying the word, if. If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from that cross. Do you recognize that voice, friends? You should. Every time the insults start to lag, every time the crowd runs out of things to say, there's a lonely figure at the foot of the cross spurring them on. Hey, Jesus, is this your big plan? Is this how you plan to take back the planet? Why don't you come down from that cross if you are the Son of God? Do you recognize that voice, friends? If, if, if. I'm guessing Jesus recognized it because he'd heard it before. He had heard it out in the desert when he started his ministry. If you are the Son of God, turn those stones into bread. If you are the Son of God, then cast yourself off the temple. Friends, you know who said that, right? It was Lucifer. It was the devil. I I know we don't want to think about the devil being there at the cross, friends, but he was there. How else else do you explain God's Son nailed to a Roman cross? Listen to those voices trying to convince Jesus to quit, trying to convince him to come down off the cross. At some point, the devil must have realized what he had done. He must have realized that the cross wasn't going to finish Jesus. It was going to finish him. Amen. At some point, Lucifer must have realized that he had blown it at the cross. At some point, he must have realized that the cross was going to expose him as a murderer and a liar. When I hear the insults dripping from the lips of the crowd, and I hear the challenge to come down from the cross, I know the devil was starting to catch on. And you know, Jesus could have come down, friends. Could he have come down? Yes, he could have. He was the Son of God. He didn't have to do it. But he knew that if you were ever going to have a chance in his kingdom, he had to stay on that cross. He was going to have to pay the price that you deserve to pay. He did it because he loved you. And I can assure you that Jesus didn't want to die. Nobody wants to suffer. 
Listen to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember remember those words when He said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from Me. He didn't go to the cross because He liked the idea. He went to the cross because He loved you. And to this day, every time the cross is lifted up, every time people open a Bible or start to read it, every time people examine the gift of Jesus at Calvary, fallen angels still show up. They stand in the shadows. They raise questions. They cause doubts. Don't waste your time with this stuff. You'll never be good enough. You're too busy to deal with this religious stuff. You can always do this later. Why don't you wait until you have every question answered? Besides, what will your friends say? What will your family say? The people at work, you don't want them to think you're too religious. Believe me, those fallen angels still show up and they stand in the shadows and they distract and they disrupt and they draw you away. Why? Because they're scared the truth is finally going to come out. They're scared the conspiracy is going to be revealed. They're scared that you're going to find out how they've been lying to you. They're scared you're going to find out the truth. What is the truth? What is the truth? Listen to what the Bible says. For the wages of sin is what? But! Amen. Can I hear an amen for the but? Amen. Amen. The wages of sin is death, but that one word changes everything. Hallelujah. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What does that mean, friends? There's an exception. It means you don't have to die. You don't have to pay the wages of sin. There is a way to escape. So what is it, friends? How can you become a part of the kingdom of God? It's very simple. If we confess our sins, He is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from how much? Some? Most? All. Praise God. Amen? All unrighteousness. God offers to cleanse you from all of your mistakes. It doesn't say all unrighteousness except murder. It doesn't say all unrighteousness except adultery. It doesn't say all unrighteousness except drunkenness or except stealing or except ruined relationships. Friends, I know we've all messed up. I've messed up. I've sinned. I'm a pastor. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. But if we confess, He is faithful. Amen? It says all unrighteousness. The Bible says that God will give you this kind of forgiveness as a gift because He knows you can't possibly earn it. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. This isn't something you can earn, friends. It is a gift, and the only way you can receive it is to accept it. Listen to how the whole Bible ends in Revelation chapter 22. Let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Jesus offers that gift to you, friends, tonight. Freely. 500 years ago, a German young man was very troubled. He felt guilty for all the sins that he had committed, and he felt afraid of God. He thought, well, maybe if I become a priest, God will be close to me. And one day as he was going through the forest, 
The story has it that a, a violent storm came up on him and the lightning flashed and the rain was pouring down and this young German prayed out. He said, Saint Anne, that's all he knew to call to. He said, Saint Anne, save me. I will, I will give my life to God if you will save me from this storm. And as he prayed and as the thunder crashed and as the rain poured down, he was praying. He said, if you save my life, I will devote my life to God. And as he prayed that prayer, oh, we'll go back, guys, just a couple slides, sorry about that. As he prayed that prayer, suddenly the rain stopped and the sun came out. And he entered a monastery. He decided to follow through on his promise. He entered a monastery and he was, he was there at the monastery trying to give his life to God. And he, he was... But he felt separated from God. He still felt condemned. And so at the monastery, he, he tried to punish himself. Next slide, guys, there. Tried to punish himself for his sins. Still no peace. He stayed up one or two in the morning. He whipped himself. Still no peace. He still felt separated from God. He felt like his sins were too great that God wouldn't accept him. He thought, my body is sinful. If I beat it long enough, I'll have peace. If I fast long enough, I'll have peace. But there in that monastery, this young German began to study the Bible. And as he was reading the Bible, he came across a book, the book of Romans. And as he read, something amazing occurred. He read this verse, Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. What do you say? Martin Luther prayed for that gift. Martin Luther experienced peace for the first time, flooded his soul as he sensed freedom from guilt. He was sleeping one night after he had made this beautiful discovery. And he had a dream. And in his dream, Satan appeared to him. And he also saw in his dream a scroll. And on this scroll, he saw his sins listed out. All these terrible things that he had done. Cheating, lies, unclean thoughts. Very specific things that he knew were his. The devil asked him, are these your sins? Martin said, Yes. The devil asked, is, the, is death the wages of sin? Martin said, yes. The devil asked, well, must you die, Martin? And Martin said, move your hand. The devil's hand was, you see, it was on the top of the scroll covering something. And Martin said to him, move your hand. The devil said, no. Martin Luther said, in the name of Jesus Christ... The Lamb of God, the one who loved me, the one whose, whose hands were driven with nails. In the name of Christ who died for me, move your hand. And Satan trembled because Satan cannot stand at the name of Christ. Amen? And he moved his hand. And there underneath the hand, it said, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses Martin Luther from all his sins. Praise God. My friends, the blood can cleanse you tonight. It can bring joy and peace and forgiveness. And that same blood that cleansed Martin Luther cleansed that thief on the cross. 
See, a few moments ago as we were looking at the story, the thief was wrestling with the Roman soldiers, but now he's wrestling with something much worse. He's wrestling with conviction, just like some of you right now. He's wrestling with the conviction that the man on the next cross is really God's son. He's wrestling with the conviction that God really can change his life. So he cries out, Stop it. Don't you see what you're doing? We deserve this. We deserve to die. But this man is innocent. This man doesn't deserve this. And then he speaks the nine most important words of his entire life. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It's such a simple prayer. And honestly, God wants to hear it from you too, friends. It doesn't have to be complicated. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You know, out in this wilderness, the devil tempted, out in the wilderness, the devil tempted Jesus with a shortcut to the kingdom. Just bow down, he said, and I'll give you this planet. Why go through with such a difficult plan? And of course, Jesus refused. But now the devil is mocking him as he hangs on the cross. Jesus, you should have taken me up on my offer because now you have nothing. Even your father isn't here. The people you thought would come back to God, the people you thought would choose you of their own free will, have just nailed you to a cross. Everything's lost, Jesus. I win. But then, in the dark, it's the devil's turn to recognize a voice. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You see, praise God, the thief just chose Jesus of his own free will. Amen? The lowest of the low, the worst man they could find to shame Jesus, the thief just accepted Jesus Christ. Can I invite you to linger with me in the shadow of the cross for just a moment? In your mind's eye, just look up at the battered, beaten body of Jesus. Count the thorns on that crown that we forced on his head. Count the drops of blood as they fall from his hands, his feet, and his side. How can you look at that cross, friends, and not begin to see clearly? How can you stand beneath the cross of Jesus and not hate sin? You see, I hate sin because it's what put him there. My sin, my pride, my lust, my bad words, they put him there. I look at the cross and I hate sin. A thief on a cross finally saw it and he understood that the cross of Christ was for him. And right now, the cross of Christ is still for thieves and transgressors and evildoers. It's for people who know they don't deserve the kingdom of heaven. Maybe you don't feel like you're good enough for church. Maybe you feel like you're not good enough for heaven. Well, you finally get it, friends. You're not. You're not. Don't you see? That's why John wept. You can't make yourself good enough. But the good news tonight is that Jesus is good enough. Amen? And that's all that counts, friends. Remember this powerful verse, one that is probably the most famous verse in the entire Bible, John 3.16. Read it with me, please. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have what? Everlasting life. Does it say just some people? Does it say most people? 
it says whosoever, amen? That's all of you. There is no reason why you cannot have hope in Christ, why you cannot have eternal life. Everybody has that option. Whoever believes can have everlasting life. Many years ago, during a period of time in the country of Rwanda, when there was severe pain and heartache, a genocide that took the lives of millions of people, a Christian pastor and his two sons were brutally murdered by a violent mob. His wife survived, but she had seen a young man with a machete kill one of their sons before she herself had been attacked and left for dead with many others in the church that day. The young man who killed her son fled and hid in the mountains. But after about three years, one day, providentially, she saw him again. But amazingly, instead of hatred for this man who had killed her son, the love of God flowed out of this godly woman toward this young man who had once been a member of their church, having been baptized by her own husband. And do you know what she told that young man who had killed her family? You know what she told him? She said, you must become my son. You see, he had lost his family. She had lost her family. He, she adopted him. And she regularly visited him in prison and cared for him every week. The young man sensed the love and forgiveness of Adele, and it broke his heart. He had never experienced love like this before. My friends, when we come to Jesus, we too will experience love like we've never experienced before. The one who knows us best loves us most. Finishing our message tonight, I just have to wrap up the story of Linda to, hear, to let you hear what happened. It's a true story. Linda ran her ad in October of 1992. On November 2nd, her phone rang. And a social services agent on the other end said, Linda, I think you're going to have a very Merry Christmas this year. Someone had responded to the ad. And she knew details that nobody else could possibly know. Shall I give you, shall I give her your number, Linda? With excitement, she said, well, 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 well uh, of course. And later that afternoon, when the phone rang, Linda was so nervous, she couldn't bring herself to answer the phone. Finally, Mike grabbed her hand, and he squeezed it, her husband, Mike. And so she answered, hello? Hello, is this, is this Linda? Yes, she said. Is this my mom? Forty years. Living a lie. But the truth can set you free. Mom, I can't believe you saw my ad on the one day it ran in the paper. Her mom said, Linda, the truth is I've been looking for you every day of your whole life. There hasn't been a day that I haven't been looking for you. My friends, do you know what's going to happen when you send up your prayer tonight? God is going to say, I've been waiting your whole life for this moment. I've been looking for you your whole life. Now tell me, what reason could anybody possibly have to say no to God who loves you so much? And then my final appeal tonight, 
as Renika begins to play, if God has been tugging on your heart, and I know we've just begun, but there's some of you here tonight who may need to make the decision to be baptized or rebaptized. I want you just to indicate that on the card. Just write a B and circle it. If you feel that God is calling you to re-surrender or surrender for the first time through baptism, I want you just to write a B and circle it on the card. Friends, Jesus loves you. He gave his life to save you. And someday soon he's coming to take us all home. And we need to be ready for that day. Now there are some people whose lives have been especially difficult. You've struggled almost every step of the way. You've had weights, it seems like, attached onto your feet your whole life, but tonight you want to trust God with your future. Maybe you're finished struggling. Maybe you've, you'd like to just say, I want help. I need help tonight with something. I want to invite you, just as we close tonight, I'm going to invite you to come forward because we want to pray for you. I want to have special prayer as we close. So if there's something you've been struggling with and you want to surrender it to Christ tonight, you've seen Christ on the cross, you've seen the forgiven, forgiveness He offers, and you want to surrender that tonight, I want to invite you just to come forward and join me here at the front. We're going to have special prayer. Maybe tonight you've never accepted the gift that Jesus made possible at the cross. Maybe you've never really thought of yourself as a son or daughter of God. Maybe you've never been sure that God loves you, but I want to assure you that you can have peace of mind tonight. You can leave here knowing that when Jesus comes, He's coming for you. So if you want to say, Lord, I'm choosing to believe what I've heard. I can't always see it, and sometimes I don't always understand it. But I want to believe it. I want you to come forward tonight too. I want to pray with you as well. Whatever it is, whatever has been bothering you, this is your moment, friends. This is your time to stand under the cross and claim everything that God is offering you. So I want to invite you. We've got a prayer team that's going to pray. Our prayer team, if you would come down right now, those are going to pray. Come on down, our elders. Stand with me, friends. We're going to pray, but stand up with me, if you will. And again, I just want to ask anybody that wants to respond to the appeal tonight, just to come down front. We're going to have special prayer for you. The Lord Jesus is moving. His Holy Spirit is here. Come on down. Just come down. Come down to the center, guys. Come on down if you can. Thank you so much. God bless you, brother. God bless you. Anybody else, you want to respond and say, Jesus, I know I've messed up. I need to come to you tonight. I need to re-surrender my life to you. God bless you, brother. I want to invite you to come down. Maybe you decided as you were writing out that card, you decided that you wanted to be baptized. I want to invite you to come down as well. We want to have special prayer. Friends, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. I want to challenge you and encourage you. Don't let anything get between you and the Lord Jesus. Nothing else is worth giving up eternity for this world. 
Friends, if anything is keeping you from Christ, surrender it tonight. Maybe you're struggling with a certain sin, a sin that has weighed you down, and you need to surrender it tonight. Something that you need to give up. I want to invite you to come down. Jesus knows your heart. He wants to answer your prayer. God bless you. God bless you. Come down. Don't worry about what other people think. God wants to answer your prayer. We're going to pray for you. You've been struggling with something, and you need to surrender it tonight. I invite you to come. As we close our meeting, we're going to pray. And friends, I just want you to know, God bless you guys, Jesus loves you more than you will ever know. And no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, He offers to forgive you tonight. For if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Those of you watching online, this appeal is for you too. Wherever you are right now, I invite you to bow your heads with me and pray. And let's surrender our hearts to the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as the song is played, we want to surrender all. Lord, we recognize that we are not worthy. Like the thief on the cross, Lord, our sins have separated us from you. But Father, like the thief on the cross, we want to say tonight, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Father, for too long, we've been our eyes have been blinded by a conspiracy for too long. We've not understood the truth. Just like Linda was in the dark for all those decades. But her mother was always searching for her. Lord, you've never stopped searching for us. Father, I know that someone here tonight is giving their heart to you. And I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would seal their decision in the courts of heaven. And for all of us, Lord, we re-surrender our hearts to you. We thank you for what you did by going to the cross of Calvary. Lord, you didn't have to do it, but you did it because you loved us. You did it because you didn't want to live in eternity without each one of us there. Father, we give our hearts back to you. Come into our hearts. Help us to live for you. And tonight we surrender all to you. I thank you, Father, for hearing this prayer. For asking in Jesus' name.